Hello Life Changers, thank you so much for joining us. We have got an amazing word for you, so why don't you lean in, grab a notebook and pen, and get ready for what God has to say to you today. How do you get on with your dad? Now, some of you have great dads. Your dad is your hero, and you have a wonderful relationship, and I want to say you are so blessed if that is true of you. Some of you, your dad was great, but he's no longer with us. And there's like there's a touch of sadness as you think about your dad. But if I can be honest, for me, it wasn't a great relationship. My dad died when I was 11, but up until that point, like it didn't go very well. He was often drunk. He was often angry, but most of the time, like he just wasn't there. He just wasn't around. He wanted his boy to play rugby because that's the man's sport. And all his friends at work, all their sons played rugby because that's for men. Um, I wanted to play soccer. Um, and my dad hated that idea, but my mum sn snuck out and got me registered one day. But my dad never, ever came to watch me play soccer. He didn't want a son who played soccer. He wanted a rugby-playing son. And he, he just wasn't around as I grew up. And every year, there was like a theme park on the other side of Sydney, you know, carnival rides. And it wasn't easy to get to. We didn't have a car. But once a year, then my dad would take us on the bus for us to enjoy a day at the amusement park. And, like, it would go okay, but every year my sister and I just hoped it would be different. Because when it was time to come home, between the amusement park and the bus stop, there was a pub. And there was a little children's playground across the road. And he'd say to my sister and me, you play in the playground, I'm going in the pub for a drink. And like hours would go, and the sun would go down, and it was dark, and my sister and I were cold. She was two years older than me, so she was usually brave enough to go into the pub and drag him out and somehow we'd get him up to the bus stop and somehow we'd we'd get him home and mum would yell at him and it seriously it was just an awful relationship when i gave my life to christ age 19 the church i went to helpfully told me that my dad was like my father and i'm thinking no like Imagine someone being like my dad, but having unlimited power. And I just thought, I don't want anything to do with that God if he's anything like my dad. But as I was surrounded by Christians who loved me, as we got stuck into God's word, I discovered a heavenly father who was nothing like my dad. Like I was, I was expecting harshness, and I discovered in my heavenly father gentleness. I was looking for anger, and I found mercy. I was looking for condemnation, and I found grace. I was looking for rejection, and I found that he invited me into his presence and had a seat at the table for me. And if you've said yes to Jesus, you have discovered the heart of the Father, and you have discovered that there is a place at the Father's table for you because you're in Christ. And today I want to look with you at a parable of Jesus that shows us the Father's heart. We're doing a whole series to try and get to the heart of it. Like all this stuff we talk about at church, all the stuff in the Bible, 
What's at the very essence of it? What's at the core, the bit that you can never ignore? And it's all about the Father's heart. And we're going to go to a parable that Jesus tells. It's in Luke chapter 15. So if you've got your Bibles there, we're going to stay in Luke 15. So have it open. If you've got a good old-fashioned paper Bible like Jesus used, go for it. If you have like 27 versions on your electronic device, Luke 15 is where we're going to head. But this parable has a problem. Here's your problem with it. You know it too well. You have heard this story over and over and over and over again, and your brain says, I know how it finishes. I know the characters. I know how it resolves itself. I know what happens. And if you're not careful, you just skip over it. It is well known throughout the whole world. The famous uh, English author Charles Dickens was once asked, what do you think is the world's best short story? And his answer was, the prodigal son. It is such a great story. And we call it the prodigal son because somebody called it that at some stage and that's the name that stuck. But I want to suggest to you it's not about a disobedient son. It's not a story about a disobedient son. It's a story about our heavenly father's heart. How wonderful, how gracious, how welcoming, how loving is our father when we come back to him. And I don't know where you are at at the moment. Maybe you and Jesus are absolutely on fire. Maybe you're sort of watching from a distance and you're thinking, I'm not sure if I want to go down this path. But I want to take us to the very heart of our Father God tonight. Now, wouldn't it be great if we as a congregation could all grow hearts that are just like our fathers? Imagine the community that we would be. Imagine the impact we would have on our world around us. But here's our problem. Sometimes my heart is nothing like my heavenly Father's heart. And sometimes for all of us, there'll be moments where your heart is nothing like your heavenly Father's heart. The Father's heart is the title of my message. If you're taking notes, there's your title. It's the heart of the Father. And I want us to dive in deep. And I want to show you three other hearts that are also here in this account that Jesus tells. Are you ready for this? Okay, Bible's at the ready. We can do that. We're in Luke chapter 15, and we're going to start at verse 11. And this is going to introduce us to the first point, which is a rebellious heart. Number one, a rebellious heart. Luke 15, verse 11 and 12. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, I want you to understand how outrageous this is. This is absolutely, blasphemously, horribly awful. There is, it's triple R-rated. It just should never happen. Try saying this to your old man one day. Say to your dad something like, Hey, you know when you die and there's an inheritance? Well, listen, I want it now. No, I don't want to wait around for you to die. I haven't got that much time. Seriously. Just give it to me now and I'm on my way. This son says to his father, I would rather have your money than to have you. He's not just being greedy. He's rejecting his father totally and just saying, you're better off dead than alive to me. 
And it's an absolutely outrageous thing. Now, you've got to remember who is listening to this as Jesus first tells us. For those of you with your Bibles open, you can cheat here. And if you just sneak back to the first verse of Luke 15, he's got two groups. He's got the sinners and the tax collectors, the people who desperately need to find the Father. But just behind them, the Pharisees, the religious leaders have come along and they're sort of eavesdropping on the story. They're not there to learn. If you look at the beginning of chapter 15, they're there to complain that Jesus spends time with the sinners. How can he include these sinful people? Because they're not holy and righteous like we are. The idea that a son would demand that inheritance from his dad now would have scandalized the Pharisees. It was absolutely outrageous. They would be condemning this young son. By the way, older generations often just condemn the next generation because we, they're not as good as we were and they don't like the music that we like and look at the way they dress and, the, you know, you understand, it was just condemnation all around. It was an outrageous demand, but look at the outrageous response from the father. End of verse 12. So he divided his property between them. And the Pharisees would be thinking, this is outrageous. Come on, this guy should just give his, his younger son a kick up the backside. He should just whop him into place and say, how dare you treat your father like that? Don't you ever talk to me like that. That's what he should be saying. And yet the man agrees to bless this incredibly rebellious, insolent son of his. And whatever share of the inheritance he had, he actually gives it to him straight away. And there is an outrageous result, which is verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, which would be quite a lot, set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but nobody gave him anything. I want you to understand how outrageous this is. Think about it. A Jewish boy is working with pigs. Just think about that for a moment. You understand the Jews, there were animals that were considered unclean. They weren't allowed to eat them. They weren't allowed to touch them. Certainly not feed them. And here is a Jewish boy. He has reached so rock bottom that he is living his life with animals he would have believed were absolutely unclean. It's absolutely outrageous. It's like a vegan getting a job at the abattoir. Like, you understand, it just doesn't make sense. It's like Juju running Afri Forum. Like it's, sorry, that's for the slightly older people. Like, it's just absolutely crazy. Like, it's like Sia Khaleesi playing for the Wallabies. Oh, wouldn't that be a great... Oh, no, that would be terrible, wouldn't it? You understand, it's, 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 it's Greta Thunberg taking a job in a coal-fired power station. It just makes no sense for a Jewish boy to be getting his living, eating the pig's food. He has reached rock bottom, but here's the problem. A rebellious heart 
will always take you to rock bottom. And some of you have reached rock bottom in your life and you know the disaster that's there. That's the rebellious heart. And it's only when he reaches rock bottom that he changes to have, number two, a returning heart. Verse 17. Luke 15, verse 17. Then he came to his senses. He said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. Now, some of you know what it's like to hit rock bottom. The wallabies. Oh dear. <laughs> this one really hurts. Liverpool. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to be our season. Just it. We drew with Everton. Seriously. You know what rock bottom is. Rock bottom. ESCOM. Like, you, you understand what rock bottom is like. But see, some of you have been there. Your addictions got too much for you, and you went to rock bottom, and everything dissolved, and it wasn't until you got there that you started making steps. And by the way, we have people who have come from that, who are part of our church, whose heart is on fire for Jesus, and are doing great guns. But seriously, rock bottom shakes you into doing something. He comes to his senses, but he also comes to his home. Verse 18. This younger son says, verse 18, I will set out and go back to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Now, we don't know all his motives for doing this. Like Maybe he's just trying to save his own skin. Maybe he's thinking, oh, I can work my way back into my father's heart. Maybe he's not being fully genuine, but what we do know about him is he faced his situation, he took responsibility for what he's done, and he was prepared to face the consequences. And we see him returning to his home, and he's ready to go back and face come what may. Now, one of the joys of being here at Life Changes is we have all these ministries doing wild things. And one of the wild things I do, I'm on the youth ministry team. <laughs> full of the loudest people at Life Changes. <laughs> and Josh and Jerry and their leadership team are doing an amazing job on Friday nights. Seriously, if you ever get the chance to visit, if either of them ever says, can you be the parents on duty, seriously say yes, and you'll witness miracles happening in front of you. So if you can imagine, Friday night, there's, I don't know, 80, 100, 120 teenagers all joining in, most of whom are from the community around of us. Most of them don't have a church background. Every week, Jesus is being proclaimed, people are responding, and we're starting to see things happen in their life. But with, with no disrespect to young people, because like, I love them, they're more the younger brothers in this story. Like, not just that they're physically younger, but the journey of faith is, is only just beginning. Some of them are not even sure if they want to take that journey and the likelihood that they might make a dumb decision 
and which will end up in a dumb action, which will lead to some dumb uh, consequences, you understand it's a pretty high possibility. And some of you will just find, you know, teenagers annoying. I don't know how you could, but I just understand they are younger brothers in this story. Here's the great news. Some of them are leaving their rebellious heart and actually coming back to Jesus. But six months ago, if we saw 100 kids on a Friday night getting closer to Jesus, how many were here at church growing with the whole body? Six months ago, maybe one, maybe two. Like seriously, there was just a disconnect between the two. But because they're growing as disciples, because there's a boys' group, a discipleship group, and a girls' discipleship group now operating before youth group for those who want to grow, the result is that as their discipleship grows, they are joining with us here at church. And I took a photo a couple of weeks ago uh, at the church entrance. Um, Do you understand that photo would bring delight to any youth pastor the world over? Like seriously, when you see a skateboard car park at the entrance, you know that you've got teenagers present. And you mightn't even notice them, but I just thought to embarrass them highly. If you're a teenager, if you're in high school, if you're in our youth ministry, right now I want you to stand up. Come on, where you are, stand up. And can we all just welcome them? Just look at them, look at them, look at them. Look at them. Ah, oh, welcome. So good to have you guys here. Ah, oh, please sit down. Do you understand that when your rebellious heart becomes a returning heart, miracles actually happen? And when your rebellious heart, you grow to become a returning heart, it takes you to number three, the Father's heart. Let's have a look at verse 20, and there is so much in this one verse. Firstly, the father is waiting for him. Look at verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Now, just think about that for a moment. He was a long way off. This wasn't he accidentally bumps into his father at the marketplace. This was the father is looking for him every day longing to see his son return. The father isn't just getting on with life and watching a whole lot of Netflix. He's not doing that. He's waiting and longing for the day when his son will return. And if you're ever thinking, what would God be like if I were to come back to him? Can you see that that is God waiting for you? Day in, day out, he is longing for the moment that you say, you know what, I might just go to church. You know what, I might just look at my Bible. I'm going to talk to someone. I'm going to find out what it means to be a Christian. And that's the first thing we saw. The part of the Father is that he is waiting and searching for you. Let's keep reading verse 20. It goes on. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. Now, I think Mark mentioned this last week. For an older man to run was a big deal in that culture. You understand, they didn't wear Levi's. Some of them were from the tribe of Levi, but they didn't wear Levi's. They would have these big, long robes. 
And if you were an elder, you would always have your long robe on because that was your place of honor. You weren't like a laborer in the field. If you ran, you had to oh, pick it up, tie it in a knot, and this is scandalous, and I apologize for any young people here. This is just like R-rated stuff. The old man would expose their legs, <laughs> like their knees. Like, <laughs> By the way, even today, Old men in shorts is just not a good idea. <laughs> Have you noticed I never preach in shorts? Like, seriously. Josh McGore, this is something you need to think about as you get older. Right? <laughs> it was totally undignified for a man to do that. This is the only older man in the whole of the New Testament that is described as running. And you can imagine the Pharisees thinking, oh, that's undignified. That would never happen at my church. Oh, we dress properly there. But here he is running to meet his son with compassion. And he runs to him and he restores him. Verse 20 continued. But when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. He's saying, you're not coming back as a hired hand. You are coming back as my son with affection and love. And verse 22, and the father says to his servant, quick, Look, bring, bring the best robe for him. Like, put it on him. Put, put, put a ring on his finger. Put, put sandals on his feet. B bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. It's party time. Because this son of mine was dead, is alive. He was lost and he's found. And they began to celebrate. So this father far from like ignoring his son or just treating him with disdain, he's watching and hoping and longing for that moment when his son comes back to his dad. Far from being angry, he throws his arms around him and hugs him. That is, the father has good, clean, proper clothes on and he presses it up against the mud and the filth of his son's rags that he's been living in for months. And that doesn't worry the father one bit. Sometimes we think, I couldn't go to God because... The stuff I've done, I've made a mess of my life, and God says, I will take you to myself, and if your mess rubs off on me, that's what sort of God that I am. And his father does that for him. Rather than doubting his apology and just questioning his motives, he honors him. He puts a great robe on him, puts a ring on his thing, sandals. These were the signs of sonship, and the whole community is watching and he's seeing this son restored by his father. And far from saying the four words that parents love to say to their children, I told you so, <laughs> yeah, I told you so. He doesn't say that. He says, I love you so. Yeah. Have you got that? Come on, if, you're, if you want to come back to God, if you want to give your life to Jesus, God is not there wagging his finger saying, I told you so. He's there with his arms open and he's saying, I love you so. And that is the Father welcoming him back. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've become, there is a place for you 
at your father's table. Have you got that? No matter what you've done and no matter what you've become, there is a place for you at your father's table. Now, if I were Jesus' public speaking coach, I would say, hey, great message, Jesus. Finish it right there. You had the problem, you had the resolution, now you've got the celebration, everybody's happy, the sun is back, everyone's rejoicing, everyone's partying, everyone's celebrating. But there's one person who's not celebrating. Jesus does not finish the story at its high point because there's one more heart that Jesus wants to look at. It's the entitled heart. This is the older brother, verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, right? working hard, like a good son should. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, well, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because... He has him back safe and sound. And the big brother's wonderful reaction to this is, verse 28, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. That is an entitled heart. Now, let's just understand this older brother for a while. Who here has younger brothers or sisters? Just hand up and wave at me. Okay. Thank you. Okay, lots of people, younger brothers and sisters. Do you, have you worked out that your younger brothers and sisters get away with things you never got away with? Particularly if you're the first child. If you're the first child, you got all the discipline, all the jobs, all the responsibility, and you had to look after the other brats. True? And particularly if there's a number of kids after you, come on, that little bratty brother or bratty sister of yours is getting away with stuff that you would have been hauled over the coals. And you understand his feeling. Like, how... Judy, you understand what this is like. Little brothers, they get away with stuff. And you're the responsible, mature one. Like, seriously. This guy was not happy at all. But here's the problem. That older brother's heart was nothing like his father's. He was rejecting his father's approach to the whole thing. How is dad going to deal with that? Second half of verse 28. So the father went and pleaded with him. He didn't discipline them. He wasn't harsh with him. He pleaded with him. Change your mind. Verse 29. But the son answered his father, Look! All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you killed the fattened calf. You understand that's the entitled heart saying, Dad, I've been loyal, I've been faithful, I deserve the honour. My kid brother, you've got to be joking. Seriously, why would you love someone like this? I've earned it, I deserve it, I'm entitled to it. You owe me and you've never given me nothing. 
he can't even bring himself to call this second son his brother. This son of yours. You understand? He doesn't say, my brother. He says, this son of yours. Because when you reject the father's heart, other relationships start to break down as well. And in the end, you isolate yourself, not just from God, but from everyone around that. Now, just remember, the Pharisees are standing around listening to this, sort of pretending that they're not listening, but deep down, they want to know that what this radical Jesus is saying. And he's saying, Jesus is really saying to the Pharisees, you guys think you're so righteous, you're so holy, you're the church leaders, you're the pinnacle of society, but you do not have your father's heart because you don't welcome your sinful younger brothers who are coming to Christ and coming to your heavenly Father's table. You know, sometimes older people, and when I say older people, I'm always thinking people older than me. <laughs> older people, now I don't do this, but I, no, no one in this church would do it, but just in another church I visited once. Older people look at the younger generation and say, oh, they're so entitled. Like they think the world owes them a living. Like, they don't have to walk, they didn't have to go through what we went through. They didn't have to go through the struggle of apartheid. We did that. They weren't sent to war in Angola. We had to do that. They weren't there when South Africa was isolated from the rest of the world and we had to get on with everything ourselves. They didn't go through that. They're the born freeze. They don't understand any of the struggles and they just think there's a thousand jobs waiting for them. They know that they're awesome because we've told them enough times and they just think as soon as a boss finds out how awesome I am, of course I'll have a hundred jobs. They're just so entitled. Have you ever heard older people talk like that? Can you note in this parable, it's not the younger ones that are being described as entitled. It's the older brother who thought he deserved his father because of all his hard work and his loyalty over the years. Older brothers feel entitled over younger brothers. Pharisees felt entitled over the sinners. The Jews felt entitled over the Gentiles. And I'm just checking with you, is it possible that if you're a long-serving Christian, hard-working, you give your life to serve a church, and you're loyal and you're obedient to Jesus, is it possible that there's something about you that's just feeling entitled? Because the person with the entitled heart also needs to come back to the Father's heart. Verse 31, my son, the father says, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because his brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and he's found. The father reverses that entitled son's attitude. The entitled son says, you give me nothing. And the father is saying, hang on, your share of the inheritance is still there. You have not lost one thing in this deal. Everything I have left is for you. Yeah. And in verse 32, he reverses the son's statement because he says, that son of yours. The father says, your brother. Yeah. That is the father's heart. Jesus didn't just come to make bad people good. 
He came to make dead people alive. Your son who was lost is found. Your son who was alive, who was dead, is alive. And that's where this parable finishes. And we sort of know, we sort of know the outcome. Well, we know the outcome from the younger brother. He was welcomed to the father's table. But Jesus cleverly doesn't actually tie up the loose ends at the end. Like, what happens to the older brother? Does he stay resentful? Does he leave dad and go down the road and start his own church? I mean, what does he do? Does he come back? We're never told. But the Pharisees, all the older brothers who are watching, they know that Jesus has just challenged them to decide whether they will come back to their father. Every older brother hearing this story has to make a decision as to how the story will end for them. Will you return to your father's heart? Sometimes we think this story is about one good son and one bad son. One son who is loyal and faithful and one son who is lost. But Jesus shows us it's about two lost sons. One is lost in his wrongdoing and one is lost in his right doing. One is actively defying his father, one is passively defying his father. One is becoming full of unrighteousness, one is becoming full of self-righteousness. It's a story about Two lost brothers who both need the Father's heart. And can I just check, is it possible that as a congregation, as a church, that we're sneakily all becoming a church of older brothers who feel that, like, seriously, I helped build this church. I gave money to make this happen. I contribute to it. I'm on a serving team. I've got my seat I like to sit on in church and won't be tired if anyone else sits there. You see how it's so easy to do? What if we became a church of older brothers? Can I just check, where are you in this story? If you're a younger brother, Jesus is saying, come back. Give up your rebellious heart. Grow a returning heart and discover the Father's heart and come back because there's a place for you at your heavenly Father's table. And if you're an older brother, Jesus is also challenging you. Will you grow a heart that is just like your Father? Will you also, older brother, come and sit down at your heavenly Father's table and put your arms around all your younger brothers? Because no matter what you've done, no matter what you've become, there is a place at your Father's table. Can I pray for everyone who's here? Oh, Father, we, we praise you for the magnificence of your heart and for the power of your love, how, 
how high it is and how deep it is and how wide it is and how broad it is that you would take sinners like us and welcome us home. I pray for all the younger brothers here that we will leave our rebellious heart and come back to your son who died on a cross and rose from that grave so that we can return to you. And I pray for every older brother that we will not feel entitled, that we'll know that we too depend on the magnificence of our Father and that we will sit at his table and welcome all our younger brothers. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. If you'd like to take your next step or find out what is happening in the life of the church, head over to our website or follow us on social media. Cheers.